in a new series that we kicked off last week called Leadership Is. And we're going to take this month of March and look at the different, different what makes a leader and what, what really is leadership about from a biblical point of view. What does the scripture say about leading? There are many great books about leadership, but I think the Bible and the model of Jesus is the best leadership book ever written. What does it mean to be a leader? And you may think, well, I'm not a leader. Well, yes, you are. Because if somebody's calling you mom, if they're calling you dad, if they're calling you, you know, grandma, grandpa, teacher, coach, boss, manager, whatever it is, we're all leading somebody. Somebody's looking up to you at some, at some point. Students, whoever you are, to the youngest, to the oldest, you're, you're a leader. And here's the truth. I think sometimes we forget this. That leaders aren't born, they're made. Of course, some people are born with more of a leadership capacity a leadership gift scripture even teaches that that leadership is a spiritual gift but that doesn't negate the rest of us from having to still walk in leadership and understanding what that means to to be leaders two things really make leaders choices that we make and circumstances make a leader it's that right choice in the right circumstance will equal great leadership making that right choice in the right circumstances I think One word sums up leadership more than any word is the word influence. Influence is leadership. When you're influencing somebody, you're leading them. That's why everybody in this room is a leader to some capacity because you have the ability to influence somebody else's lives. Now, influence can be used for good or bad. You think about Hitler. Hitler was, he was an incredible leader, bad person, great leader. So your leadership can be used to lead people in good or you can lead them in bad. And so we want to continue to study what does the word say about us and our influence. Jesus said this about everybody that's a follower of him. This is what he says about you. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's influence. To call us salt and to call us light is for him to say you have potential to influence other people's lives. When he, when he calls us salt, sometimes if, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you, you haven't read the Bible much, what, what does that mean that we're the salt of the earth? Well, when Jesus was saying this, salt was an incredibly valuable commodity. It was like money in many ways. It was a valuable commodity. It, it was a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration, so they used salt to preserve things, to preserve meat, things that would, would spoil. It was a flavor enhancer. Throughout the Old Testament, you see covenants being made with salt, trading salt. So it was that, think about that. You, know, you are that valuable commodity in this world that God has called you to be. To be a flavor enhancer, a preservative, to to preserve God's kingdom and pursue his kingdom. And then light, how many know we live in a dark world? We forget that sometimes. But living in a dark world is because people have dark lives. There's darkness in a lot of people's lives. 
We all know broken people, man. Life has a way of crushing us and hurting us. Broken relationships, bad choices, things that happen, man. It's, it's dark. But when he calls us the light of the world, he doesn't want us to be like a spotlight in blind people. It's when I was thinking about this, when you're the light of the world, you are, you're shining enough light in front of somebody so they can see where they need to go, so they can see the path towards Jesus. That's really what it is. Our lives are light for people to find the Savior, to find Jesus. So we're talking about influence. Jesus was the perfect leader, the most influential person who ever lived. And the cool part about Jesus is Jesus never calls you and I or asks us to do things that he wasn't prepared to do himself or that he didn't undergo while he was walking the earth himself. And here's what he said. In Luke 22, verse 26, he said, The most important one of you should be like the least important. Your leader should be like a servant. Jesus modeled that. Um, Leadership begins and ends with serving. If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to influence people for, for God and for good, then it's taking the role of a servant, servanthood. Jesus said himself that, that he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for us. That's our model that we have. I want to show you a, a clip from a movie. It's a, a movie based on a true story called We Were Soldiers. And it's uh, uh, Mel Gibson stars as... Hal Moore, who was a, a general in the, in the army and went into in the Vietnam War. It's a true story based upon this incredible battle that they, they had to, to have. And, and, and um, he's such a good example of leadership throughout the movie, of a servant leader, of a, of, a, of a Christ-like leader in taking the role of a servant. Even though he was a high-ranking officer, he understood what it meant to lead. So... And let me, before you set that up, there, there, the, the clip that you're watching is right before they're getting ready to head over to Vietnam. He's given the last rallying the troops speech. Took the role of a servant. He said, I'm going to be the first one off the helicopter. I'll be the last one on. I'm going to make sure everybody's taken care of. He took the role of a servant. That's, that's what influence really is about. That's why he was an influential leader. So we're going to talk this morning over the next few minutes how to influence like Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of Jesus, we see how he led and we see how he influenced. First thing I want to tell you this morning, if you want to write this down on your notes, is be an example to follow. If you want to influence like Jesus, then first of all, be an example to follow. Jesus said this in John 13, verse 15. He he told his disciples, he said, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You should do as I've done for you. Well, he goes on to say, as I have loved you, you're to love one another. If you're not familiar with scripture, John chapter 13 is the chapter where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. The, the night before he was going to go be crucified, he, he had the, the Last Supper. We're going to celebrate communion today as Jesus instructed us to. But on that night, he took his disciples and he washed their feet. And I think sometimes when we read scripture, it's easy to just kind of blow by something. and think, oh, that, that's nice that he washed their feet. That was a nice act. But really, you got to think a little bit. 
Think about during the Bible times when, when this happened. They didn't have paved roads. They wore sandals. It was dirty. It was dusty. The main mode of transportation would have been animals. And animals produce stuff, right? And they, you know, it's, 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 so they walked through that and their feet would have been nasty, just to be honest. So Jesus was willing to wash feet that were really dirty and grimy. And I'm not trying to use shock value here or, or be gross or anything, but we really, to get an impact of what Jesus did, if you were to, you know, go over to somebody's house after they had gotten really sick, and you were willing to clean their bathroom, scrub the toilet, clean the sink. That's not fun. I mean, some people are willing to do that. That's servanthood when you're willing to, to get down into the grime. That's what Jesus did. And that's what he's asking us to do. Then the Apostle Paul, he said this. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He told the church at Corinth, follow my example as I follow Jesus. The example that he set. So to... Here's the, the kind of nuts and bolts of this is this. To influence like Jesus, you got to be following him. If you want to be really influential, if you want to be a leader, then we got to first follow Jesus. That means that Jesus gets to call the shots in our life. He gets to call the shots about how we live, how we think, how we behave. That we're surrendered to him and we're following after him. It doesn't mean that we're perfect because we're all going to fail in that area. There's only one Jesus. But what, we'll, but what really God is looking for is not perfection, but the right attitude. The right attitude of the heart where, Lord, I'm surrendered to you. And when I blow it, or when I fail, or I fail to follow you in a certain area of my life, here, God, I repent, I give it back to you. And then Paul told Timothy, Timothy was his young disciple, he says this, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Timothy pastored a church that some scholars say maybe had 30,000 to 50,000 people. You think Flatirons is big. <laughs> you know, 50,000 people in a church for him. And they didn't have computers and microphones. And how did he take care of all these people? Well, he was obviously a good leader. But he was young and in an influential role. And he says, set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Those who lead right, live right. If you're going to lead right, you've got you to live right. That means that your, your life lines up with what you say you believe. That's important. Does my life, does your life line up with what we say we believe? If we want to be influential, it's, it's that. Ask yourself the question, am I the type of person that someone would want to emulate? And I don't mean some false humility. Oh, no, no, I'm not. Who would want to follow me? Introvert, extrovert. There are qualities in each one of us that are good that God wired you with. And there are some, we need to strive for being the type of people that somebody would want to emulate. They would look up to. They would get growth out of watching our lives. I think this is important. God's not looking for perfection, but that you're headed in the right direction. Does that make sense? You're, none of us are going to be perfect in our walks. But are we headed in the direction of Jesus? Are we headed in the direction of the cross? Are we headed in the direction of his, his leading in our lives? That's what this is about. So if, if leadership is a choice, then the first choice is to follow Jesus. To follow him as our example that he said, follow my example. Second thing is this. 
Be an example, but then be an exhorter. Be an exhorter. Great leaders challenge people beyond themselves. Great leaders, people who are influential, you know, push somebody beyond just average. Chase, my oldest daughter, when we were on the Dominican uh, mission trip that we did at the beginning of the year, we sat down on our first night of devotion and we were getting ready to pray together. And I had asked her, I threw her under the bus. I said, you're going to lead the first devotion that we have together as a group. She was like, thanks, Dad. Chase is a little introverted, but she, she's, man, she's, a, she's got guts. She's got courage. And so her devotion was about, the, over this question, is God getting my best or is he just getting good enough? And it's easy in our lives to skate by with good enough. And here she was. My 18-year-old daughter pushing us, people that were older than her, to live for God's best. She was exhorting us. It was awesome. It helped set the tone for the trip. Jesus was always challenging people and his disciples to greater things. He was always pointing out to people, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on trying to have a good life here, but give me your life so that you can have real life and find what life is really about. Jesus challenged people in three ways. First of all, Jesus challenged people's priorities. He challenges our priorities. You read the word of God and you'll see the word of God challenging my priorities, challenging your priorities. There was a, a, there's a story in the Gospels about the rich young ruler. And he was a man of power, a man of great wealth. And he had heard about Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was asking that question. How do I know my life counts? How do I know I'm right with God? And Jesus says, you know the commandments, you know, love God, keep the commandments, love God, love your neighbor. And so he says, oh, I've done that. And he said, and, but in each one of us know that we haven't fully loved God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength or loved our neighbor as ourself. He knew it too. He felt good about himself. He had a, a lot of guts there for saying that, but he, he, he wanted to justify himself, it goes on to say. And he said, what else should I do? Is there, is there something else missing? Because he, he knew there was still that little hole in his life. And Jesus says this to him. He says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Oh, that's a little bit of a game changer. Scripture goes on to say that he walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth, he had great power and great wealth. To understand that story, you got a picture in your mind today, some hotshot CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He's got money. He's got power. He's a Harvard grad. He's smart. And if Jesus were here today, he comes up to Jesus and he, hey, Jesus, you know, I got money. I got power. I'm, I'm, I'm a moral person. I, I seem to be living the, the good life. Am I, am I right with God? And how do I know for sure that my life's truly counting? Can you imagine Jesus Looking at him and saying, you want your life to count? Then give up, give up the thought that, that your life, what, what you thought your life was about, your money and your possessions, and come follow me. Now, Jesus doesn't tell every person of wealth to give everything they have away and sell all their possessions. That's, that, that Jesus knew that man's priority was his wealth and, and his possessions. 
people that have money, people that have been blessed with money, God uses that to, to fund the kingdom, to fund churches, church plants, missionaries, his work. And so God gives that gift to some people. So he doesn't say that to everybody. We would misunderstand scripture if we took, took that away. He challenged his priority. For you, there's a challenge today that Jesus is challenging your priority. Somewhere in your time, your talent, your treasure, your relationships, what is the priority of your life? The second thing Jesus challenges people in is our faith. He challenges our faith. He told his disciples, he sent them out. He said, go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. He asked them to do something that was going to be impossible. He stretched their faith and challenged them to do something that would only happen if they had 100% dependence upon him and his power. So he, he, he's challenging your faith. Part of your job as a leader is to help challenge other people's faith, to go deeper. And then Jesus always challenged small thinking. He challenged small thinking. After he died, was buried, rose again, he ascended back to, to heaven where he's going to come back again one day. And he's in heaven right now. But before he went... He told his disciples this. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you have never been water baptized before and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we're having baptism March 29th after service. You can sign up. Um, at the Ask Me table or online as well, but just wanted to make sure you all knew that. But think about what he told them to do. He challenged them to have a greater vision. Go and make disciples. You guys, I'm commissioning you to go and spread this news of who I am to the whole world, a handful of guys. And and we know what happened. That's what AD is all about. That's where the book of Acts is all about. We're still participating in this commission today. But the key part of that is the disciples struggled, like so many people in the time that Jesus walked the earth, with small thinking. They thought that Jesus was going to come like David as a military ruler. And that he was going to restore Israel back to the glory days And they failed to realize that Jesus was, first of all, initiating a spiritual kingdom. A spiritual kingdom that's still growing to this day. One day, it will be the fulfillment of the the physical kingdom when he comes back. But we're in between there. His spiritual kingdom is growing. And so he had to challenge them to think bigger than just their nation or their glory. He's challenging you and I today to a greater vision for your life. I know he is. Every day you're confronted with, is my vision small? Do I have small thinking about how God can use me? Do I have small thinking about how I spend my money? How, do I have small thinking about my relationships, my family? And think big. Think bigger picture. Think eternally. People around you are hungry for purpose. I see it every day. People want to know, why do I exist? Well, following Jesus gives you the ultimate purpose and understanding of why you exist. So the more you exhort people to follow wholeheartedly after him, the more influential you ultimately are going to be. Third thing is this. If you're going to lead an influence like Jesus, be an encourager. 
One more thing about our Dominican Republic trip. Every night after a long day of ministry, we would get in a circle and we would have what we call devotion time. And we would put somebody in the hot seat. We called it, since we were in the Dominican Republic, the La Silla Caliente, right? That's my dual lingo practice working right before you. So dual, I'm doing, learning Spanish on the dual lingo app. But we would take time and we'd put somebody in the middle of the circle. And we would ask God to give us words of encouragement. That we could exhort one another to grow. And what did we see in this person, how God was working in their life? It was one of the coolest things about the whole trip was just those little moments together. Funny, we had to travel thousands of miles to do that. We can do that right here. You can be an, an encourager in your family. As a matter of fact, in our family, often, at least monthly, sometimes weekly at dinner time, we'll just take that time to say, you know, hey, what do you see your brother or sister, you know, growing in? And, and we begin to encourage one another. And you can see how God works in the middle of that. Well, Jesus, at one point in, in his ministry, his popularity was growing. And he asked his disciples, he said, who do the people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're, you're one of the prophets. Or you're Jeremiah or John the Baptist come back from the grave. Then he turns to his disciples. And he says, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, he answers, and he says, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus. And then Jesus replied to him, he said, You're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. First of all, I get a couple things out of that. If you believe in Jesus today, you believe he's the Christ, you believe he's the Messiah, that should humble you to know that the Father revealed that to you. You didn't do it in your wit and knowledge to be able to say, I need to follow Jesus. Or No, it was no work of man. It was the work of Almighty God that revealed his Son to you. So thank him for that tonight before you go to bed. Thank you, Father, that you revealed your Son to me. But from a practical leadership point of view, he changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter. He, it, he changed his name from, from Simon to Petros in the Greek, which means, which means rock. And it's not a little pebble rock. This is the rock of Gibraltar. He, this is the, the emphasis there is something stable, immovable. He calls Peter that. He looked him in the eye and he said, he said I'm changing your name from, from Simon to, to the rock, to Peter. He was encouraging him. Because anybody that knows scripture knows that Peter struggled from many times after that. He failed many times and he had to remember that Jesus called him the rock. So like Jesus, then see potential in others. See potential in others. If you're going to lead like Jesus, you've got to see the potential in others. I love um, a story that I read about um, a pitcher for the Dodgers named Oral Hershiser back in the 1980s. How many remember that guy? Okay, good. Yeah, if you, if you don't know who he is, um, he, he was a tall, lanky guy. He looked like Opie Taylor from, from Andy Griffith, right? He had just boyish, boyish features. And he went on to be a stud in, in one World Series and all kinds of things. But he just, you know, he looked like a little boy. And so Tommy Lasorda, who was his manager at the time, before 
Oral ever made it to the big leagues, when he saw him in camp and saw his boyish features, he wanted to impart something to him and say, man, I see potential in you. He gave him the nickname Bulldog before he'd ever even made it to the big leagues. He gave him this name like, you're Bulldog, man. You're, you're not a little boy. You're, you're Bulldog. And he went on to pitch like that. You see potential in other people. Another thing about being an encourager is this. Treat people the way you want them to become instead of how they are. Sometimes we, parents, I was thinking about this for us as parents, we are either affirming the negative in our kids or we're affirming their potential. We're either affirming the negative or the potential in our kids, which leads me to this, correct without condemning. We need to correct without condemning. Affirm the person, correct the behavior. Help people around you to not find their identity in their bad behavior. Man, we, 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 it's so easy to affirm that. Jesus knew what Peter was going to do, and he, he changed his name to the rock. He encouraged him. So when we're correcting anybody, whether it's at work or home or whatever it is, in that place of leadership, check your motive first. Before, why are, what, are you doing it out of anger? Are you doing it out of frustration or controlling? Or are you genuinely leading that person? I like what Ken Blanchard said. He said, catch people doing something right. How true is that of us as parents? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And you didn't do what I told you. We, we catch them doing wrong all the time. But do we take the time to catch them doing right? Thanks for being helpful. Thank, I see how you're growing in this area of your life. Catch them doing good. So encouragement needs to be real, regular, specific, and sometimes written. An email, a text, or just a, a handwritten note. Fourth thing is this. Be an equipper. Be an equipper. Leadership is about equipping. Jesus modeled ministry to his disciples before he ever sent them out. Before he sent them out to do ministry, he modeled it for them, sent them out, brought them back in, let model it again, and then sent them back out and ultimately commissioned them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Equipping is an investment of your time. In somebody's life. Parents, your job is to equip your kids. On, I mean, you do it on the job, but sometimes we forget that our job as parents is to equip our kids. It's built on relationship. You know, more is caught than taught. Meaning, you watch somebody do life and how they interact with people. You, they're modeling that for you more than a lecture, more than reading a book, more than just sitting down and teaching. People are watching our lives. I remember my years of youth ministry. I did high school ministry for many years. Some of the funnest times of my life were that. And in, in doing youth ministry, I, I, I wouldn't get a lot of encouragement from the kids on, hey, that was the greatest message or thanks for doing this. It was always this. The notes that I got was, hey, Scott, thanks for always being honest about your sin. Thanks for being transparent about that. And I, I always remember that. Because they caught that, that, listen, I'm not trying to talk down to somebody. We're in this thing together. That's, that's, that, to me, encouraged me as a leader on what, what my influence was about. Then Jesus trusted his disciples with responsibility. He modeled it, then he trusted them with responsibility. He told his disciples, he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever doors you lock on earth shall be locked in heaven. Whatever doors you open on earth shall be open in heaven. 
He gave them responsibility. That, that's what that was about. Did Jesus know that his disciples were going to fail at times? Of course he did. And he gave them the responsibility anyway. He knows that you and I are going to fail, but he still gives us responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility to further the kingdom alone, meaning church staff or pastors. You are the church. We are together. So it's not a professional's job. It's, not, not, it's all of us collectively together leading and, and moving. Our tendency is to protect people from making mistakes. Do we do that as parents? We want to protect our kids from failure so bad. We can't stand to see them fail. I don't know where that comes from. But think about this. You learn more in life from your failures than you do any of your successes. If you skate through life and never have any failure, you haven't learned diddly. But when you fail, and you learn, you learn so much from that. Now, students in this room, don't go tell your parents, Scott said it's okay for me to fail my biology class. <laughs> um, that's not what I'm saying. If you're smart enough to concoct that in your mind, you're smart enough to get an A. So, so that, that's, that, that doesn't count there. But the fact is, we're going to fail at, at, at certain things. So we try to protect from, from, from failure. And then we also have pride, where nobody can do it just like us, right? So we, we have to control everything. No one can do it like me, quote unquote. God's been showing me a lot about what church is supposed to look like. And I humble myself before you guys to say, you know what? This church isn't about me. It's not about one or two or three people's gifts. It's about us together collectively doing what God has called us to do. And I am committed to each one of you to equip every person that is desiring to grow and to equip one another that we continue, not just for me, but we are equipping one another to do the work of the ministry. It can't be that way. That's, that's not what God wants for this church. God wants us to be a community of people that have impact outside of Sunday. We have impact outside of a Sunday service. So that takes you taking some initiative to become better leaders. There was a survey of, of grandparents that they asked these grandparents, if you had parenting to do over again, what would you do different? And the number one answer over and over was, I would do less for my kids and teach them to do more for themselves. I would do less for them and teach them how to do more for themselves. And this thought hit me. As parents, you, many people in our church have a lot of little ones. There's a lot of little ones, babies and so forth. And it's, it's easy to think, you know, I got time, I got time, and, and, and to just think about that. But you blink your eyes and your kids go from being babies to 18 years old like that. And the, here's the reality that I want to, it's going to make some moms cry in here, but the reality is your, odds are you're going to know your kids longer as them being adults than you are as them being kids. You're going to know them longer in that area. And yet we, and so we're trying to do so much for them. We need to teach them to do for themselves. Your job as a parent is not to protect your kids from everything. and pre It's to prepare them for the real world. That's the key. So you got to keep that in mind and you'll be equipping and leading. If you're going to lead like Jesus, be an equal. 
You've got to be an equal as well. Look what Jesus said. He told his disciples, he said, I'm, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't, does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Real leaders don't act like superiors. In other words, you don't have to be the boss or be bossy to be the boss. You know, you're the leader, but you don't have to act like a superior. Paul said this, he said, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. You know, God does his best work through those who don't care who gets the credit. God does his best work when it points back through people who say, God, you ultimately get the glory anyway. It's not about me and what what people think of me. It's you, God. You get the glory first and foremost. One of the greatest small books I've ever read in my life was a book called Humility by Andrew Murray. He lived a, about 100 years ago. Anybody read that book by chance? You need to read it. So we'll get it on the book, st- book table. Um, he said this. He said, the humble man can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others praised and himself forgotten. You want to know if your humility is working in your life, you're doing a job and somebody gets praise and you don't, you can go, good job, God. I don't care who gets the praise. That was, that was good, good work there. Important for us to understand that. Lastly, if we're going to influence like Jesus, be enduring in prayer. Be a person of prayer. Jesus prayed for those he led. Because prayer is influence. When you pray for somebody, you're influencing their life. Jesus prayed for Peter. Remember the story where Jesus, Jesus tells Peter, he says, he says, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Well, Jesus prayed for him because he knew he was going to fail in the denial. And so Jesus tells him that, and it tells us in Luke that Peter goes, Jesus, I'm ready to go to prison and even die for you. What do you mean you've prayed for that my faith may fail? Jesus says, Simon. Have you ever know? I circled that in my notes. He didn't call him Peter there. He called him Simon. I thought about that. Peter was referring back to his old self, his old identity of, ah, I'm going I'm to do this. So he's, dude, you're acting like Simon right now. Remember, I renamed you Peter. Well, in, in praying for him, and then it goes on to say that, that he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. We know the story goes on. That happened just, just like you know, Jesus said it was going to happen. I thought about Peter and his sorrow, Peter and his angst of guilt. Don't you think it was comforting for him to remember Jesus' words, I've prayed for you, man, that your faith may not fail. Let I me mean, know if Jesus prays for you that uh, you're going to be okay. Well, let me give you good news. Look what, look what it says here in John 17, 20. In his priestly prayer, Jesus said, Father, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you. It's me. Jesus prayed for you. He had you in mind. That's pretty cool. He prays for us. Now, be, be, a, be those, those truths there. That, that Be an example. Be an exhorter. Be an encourager. Be an equal. Be a person of prayer, enduring in prayer. Because listen, the greatest thing that 
each of us can do with our lives is to learn how to build up the lives of others. If you will see your life as an opportunity to build into the lives of others, you will have influence. You will be a person of impact. I was thinking about this, and please don't think me, me morbid in this, but I, I think about, about dying a lot. Because dying helps you live right. It makes you live better. That's why we're, you know, the don't blink bracelets that we started the year. Life goes by fast. And I was thinking about this. When people come to my funeral, they'll say nice things about me, but I hope. But it's only going to be the people that, my, that are directly close to me at that point in time in my life. So it's not going to impact a ton of people, my, my death, my funeral. But my life has the ability to affect generations to come regardless of the day of when I die. Your, your life has the opportunity to affect generations to come. Let me tell you what I mean by that. How much do you know about your grandparents? You probably know enough, your parents, your grandparents. How much do you know about your great-grandparents? How much do you know about your great-great-grandparents? Well, they came over on the Mayflower or whatever, you know. You may, they lived in Iowa. They, did, they had a farm, whatever, and they moved from here and there. Here's the deal. The farther great you get in your, in your ancestry line, the less you know about them. And, and so you're like, huh, I wonder how they, what they live like and what their lives were like. The reason I say that is, is they had an in, uh, influence on your life generations later. Somebody chose to do this, marry this person, do that occupation, move to this state, move from the old country, do, and it's influenced you. So everything you do is influencing the generations to come. That's pretty cool to think about. What if every person in Novation chose and decided to be an influential leader. What if we all got on said, you know, let's all be people of influence. Now think of the impact that would happen. We're going to take communion and finish our, our service with communion this morning. And I, I, I would fail you this morning if I left any of you thinking or having the impression that Jesus is just our example, our teacher, our leader Jesus came to die, first and foremost. He's not just our example. He came to give his life as a ransom for, for our sin. Each one of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and are in need of that saving work of Jesus on the cross. He came to die for us. It says, on the night that Jesus did the first supper, he says this. It says that, he told his disciples, he said, I've eagerly desired to eat this with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do in remembrance of me. If you've never trusted in Jesus, now's the time to do it. Put your hope in him and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I give my life back to you. 
and you'll find real life. You'll find forgiveness. Lord, as we move into the communion table, just pray each one of us reflect on the type of influence first and foremost of what we want you to have on our lives that you would lead and guide and influence every area of our life and that as we take the bread as we take the cup this morning we're remembering the salvation that you purchased with your life and death and resurrection we look for your coming again in Jesus name amen